What went behind the decision of going with a free forever versus a free trial? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question because we are debating ourselves with, with that. We do have the free trial for the more advanced features. Of course, the free forever has limited features and you can still do a free trial to test the more advanced features. So they both exist right now. The argument for the free forever is basically the viral channel. So if you do build a bot that is free, it will have something saying that it is built with Landbot, and when you share it, you will be advertising for Landbots for the people that are using the bot. So that would be the main uh, the main reason to have the free forever. is It's an acquisition channel by itself, the viral channel, and of course there's pros and cons between the premium and the free trial. And I wouldn't say we have it all figured out and we know exactly what the best option is, because actually right now we have both. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today I'm with Fernando Amaral. And Fernando is a computer science engineer. He is also the VP of Marketing at Landbot, which is a no-code communication automation platform that empowers non-technical users to automate business processes through conversational experiences. Uh, so as I said, Fernando is a computer science engineer by trade, working in online marketing for over 20 years. He's built and led and coached marketing teams that help businesses achieve increased awareness and growth through both inbound and outbound marketing strategies. He's got broad experience in lead gen, in marketing automation, affiliate marketing, online communities, content marketing, social media, and online advertising at large. And today he is currently focused in high growth B2B tech startups. So Fernando, welcome to the show. Hi, Paris. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So first, let's get into Landbot. And Landbot is positioning as a no-code chatbot builder. First of all, before we get into the no-code, let's talk about chatbots. Chatbots are, I believe, still hot. I think it's a crowded space. What makes Landbot different? It, it really is about the value that they can create. And I think that chatbots and automation in general and, and the automation of, of customer interactions and conversations is can be extremely valuable if it's used in the, um, in the right way. And uh, it, I think it's still finding its, um, its place. I think the, the hype around chatbots that um, would kind of sound like a human or even uh, pretend to be human, that's not really where the most of the business value is. It's really about uh, automating processes that are useful for the customer, not necessarily pretend to be a person. It's fine to interact with a, with a chatbot knowing that it's a chatbot. As long as it solves your, your problem that you have as a customer, if it solves it faster, more efficiently than waiting for a human to jump in the conversation, uh, then, then it's all good. So I, I think chatbots are here to stay. It's really about understanding how to use them. Uh, and um, Landbot's main um, differentiator, I think it's the builder. So the way that you can design your conversation, your conversational flow 
with advanced features, with the way you can integrate with other tools that obviously you already use to store the information about your customers and your business. The way that you can do all of this with a visual builder, mostly drag and drop, no code or local builder, and then implement it in your website or in other communication channels is really where I think the main value of Landbox is. Mm -hmm. And do you all target any specific types of customers or industries? Yeah, so the challenge of the a lot of no-code tools is that you can do so much stuff with it that it's hard to find a target because it's really, um, there's something for everyone. But we do try to focus on where we think there's a better fit. For marketing teams, for example, uh, in lead generation on the web, having a chatbot on your website for lead generation, having conversational experiences in, in support, for example. So instead of a, a normal FAQ, having more interactive FAQs. In other channels like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp, and I'll probably want to focus more on WhatsApp. It's where we're really seeing uh, a lot of opportunities coming up. Having these automated conversations on channels that uh, people are already having conversations with their friends, but now also with businesses like WhatsApp and being able to build automated flows for that. It can create a, a lot of different uh, things for businesses, not just lead generation, but actually providing the service. Conversational commerce is going to be huge. I mean, it's, all, it's already, but it's going to keep growing. So being able to turn an app like WhatsApp into a kind of a super app where you can browse a kind of the product catalog, buy, get customer support. There's companies like uh, you, you mentioned industries. So I think some of the industries that have the more to benefit from this kind of automation is financial industries, for example. Why? Because the interaction is relatively complex. Imagine you want to have an insurance. You need to give a lot of information to get the quotes. You, you want to get a car insurance, so you need a driver's license, uh, how, how long did you have it, what is your car, what kind of insurance do you have, a lot of options. So all of these things can be automated uh, and the bot can guide you to all of the process. Uh, and I think that's uh, there's a lot of value to building the automation there and can immediately calculate whatever quote it needs to give you. You can upload the documents directly in the bot, directly in WhatsApp and get everything set up. There was a, a bank uh, in Brazil recently that just allowed for the first time to open a bank account through WhatsApp. So I think those kind of businesses uh, have a lot to gain from the, mm -hmm. automating these processes. Can we talk a little more about uh, this conversational flow that involves WhatsApp? I also believe strongly that people are going to be more comfortable chatting in an environment that they're already used to, which is WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, as opposed to in a chatbot window on top of some someone else's website. But how does it get there? So is it that someone ultimately is going to come through a paid or, or an organic channel, they're going to arrive at the website or a landing page, their, their first interaction will be with an automated chatbot on that page. And then how does it go? How does it get onto WhatsApp from there? Just walk me through I, that I've flow. been exploring. I've been exploring that myself and interviewing some of our, uh, some of our customers and people that are exploring this space it's it's all very new because uh meta has been opening more whatsapp to businesses and giving them more options and it's all relatively new so there's probably still stuff to be discovered and explored but what, what i'm seeing there is uh, one possibility you can do ads uh, you can do facebook ads directly to whatsapp so the ad can directly immediately to open a, a whatsapp conversation 
through fake Facebook's own uh, platform, of course, um, or we c you can send them there in, in different ways. And what someone told me recently uh, on my own podcast was, think of WhatsApp as uh, your website and every and your mindset changes. So how do you send people to your website? You send email newsletters and you invite them to click to visit your website. You can send SMS messages to SMS marketing and you invite them to click always to go to the destination that is your website. Now, instead of your website, you can send them to WhatsApp and that's an, an interactive dynamic conversation. Instead of seeing a web page, now you're continuing the conversation or starting a new conversation on WhatsApp. So all the ways that you can send someone to a website, you can send to a WhatsApp conversation basically. And just given I'm looking at your pricing page right now, and the, there's a, I think, a very generous free forever as opposed to a free trial, which is the, an alternative product-led growth strategy. What went behind the decision of going with a free forever versus a free trial or other, some other form of a... Yeah, that, that's a great question because we are debating ourselves with, uh, with that. Um, we do have the free trial for the more advanced features. Of course, the free forever has limited features and you can still do a free trial to test the more advanced features. So they both exist right now. The argument for the, for the free forever is basically the, the viral channel. So if you do build a bot that is free, it will have something saying that it is built with Landbot. And when you share it, you will be advertising for Landbot for the people that are using the bot. So that would be the main, uh, the main reason to, to have the free forever. It's, a, it's an acquisition channel by itself the viral channel and of course there's pros and cons between the premium and the free trial and i wouldn't say we have it all figured out and we know exactly what the best option is uh because actually right now we're having we have both okay yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and i imagine that uh, of course you have you can trigger the viral channel and i think that's important i, I normally think of with SaaS that you have three major buckets or channels. One is organic, one is paid, and the third is viral or the virality. And so it seems like that's your, that's your, what triggers your viral channel is the free forever plan with the branding, with the embedded branding always there. I also think in some cases, if you can build a large freemium base, you can collect a lot of user data and other analytics that allow you to enhance the paid plans. Um, and to just generally get uh, a higher level view on uh, on the behavioral data. You can have a community. So in the case, we do have a community where people might help each other to build their bots. So you do grow that community by having more people using your product. If um, you go, we recently added the possibility to create your own templates and publish your own templates. So you do get a bigger ecosystem to play around with. If you let people use your product for free, you have that advantage. Gotcha. And uh, I can, the, when people are on the free forever plan, it looks like they're limited to a hundred chats per month. And I suppose when they bump up against that ceiling, it's time to, it's time to upsell either with a chatbot led approach or with a human approach, but in your acquisition marketing, uh, when you acquire people into freemium, are there certain behavioral signals or usage signals of the product or other data? that even within the first one or two days that you can notice a quick time to value that says this is somebody who's very likely going to be upgrading off of the free plan soon. And therefore we, we are willing to pay even more to acquire this freemium user today. Do you yeah, look at anything so, like that? Yes. So there's the, the firmographics, just, just understanding 
the country, the size of the company, the use case that they are choosing when when they onboard might give us some signs that okay, this is this is a high potential customer. But in terms of the behavior, which I think is more what you're referring to, there are some things that they can do inside the product that are indicators that they will be more successful, that they are more likely to convert, and that they are more likely to retain or to expand. And um, a big one, I think, is connecting uh, our tool to other tools in their marketing tech stack. And this can be done to native integrations, or it can be done to through webhooks, or through API, or through Zapier, for example. So when you see that that um, they are using some of these features and they are connecting to other tools, then it is more likely that they are that they will be getting the value and that they will be sticking around. Gotcha. I would have guessed that the immediate time to value would be time to building your first uh, conversation flow or something. But you're saying it's the integrations that are the the key indicator. Yeah. If you want to go like the immediate first step that we have like set up, it is preview or publishing a bot. So yeah, that, that is the, the really basic first thing is that if you preview or publish your first bot, okay, yeah, then, then you're, that's an action that, that we track. And that obviously we want you to do as fast as possible after you sign up. But as a more long-term indicator of value, uh, it's the integrating with other tools and having this data going from Landbot to other tools uh, is more relevant. Are you seeing differences in lead quality based on, let's say, I don't know, the type of CRM? If they're integrating with a HubSpot or a Salesforce versus some other tools, are there the tools themselves that they integrate with in any way indicative of their commitment or of a long-term value? We are not looking into that right now. Actually, just today I was having with a product manager a conversation around that, exactly asking him if he could give me this information, even through webhooks, if he could find out what they are connecting to have this data, because I do believe that it is rel very relevant for us also to make decisions on what native integrations we should build next, understanding if they're using webhooks, what they are connecting to. And if we see, okay, there's a lot of people connecting to Salesforce through webhooks, maybe we should develop more of the Salesforce integration, things like that. So it is something that I'm looking to, but uh, that we are not using yet. Another thing I'm curious about, and if you're tracking the type of the type of integration, whether it be the first integration or the first two integrations, I'm thinking CRM is an obvious one. Marketing automation tool could be an obvious one. Maybe an email marketing platform could be another one. What am I missing? Um, what are the most common types of tools that are being connected in the first, second, or third connection? I think you, you got it right. The most common is basically where you store your customer information, especially if you are using it for lead generation and that's where you want to keep the data. Uh, a lot of smaller companies will just do it um, through a Google Sheet or through Airtable, uh, tools like that. If they are a bit more sophisticated, yes, then they will go into more proper CRMs. And so all the marketing automation tools and, and, and sales CRMs would be the, um, the logical choices like HubSpot, Pipedrive, Salesforce, things like that. And, and uh, well, Zapier, we don't really know exactly what where it goes next. There's the whole world out there that you can integrate with. And then I think there might be some proprietary systems. So especially if you want, the communication can go both ways. So if you want to have the part of the conversation, get some of your own data to provide to the customer, you, you will want to, to connect to your own 
proprietary systems to get, fetch whatever information you need to use in the conversation. Okay. Let's now talk about content marketing. From what I understand, you all have a pretty robust content marketing strategy for 2022. It's been recently, it's been recently defined, and I'm sure that you were the leader of that. Can you broadly describe what is your content marketing strategy for this year? Yeah, so we we had some good successes last year with content marketing. We invested in um, in our editorial team and some projects also with some external agencies. In the beginning of the year, we really wanted to see what is working, what is not working, understanding what we're going to double down on. So we did this analysis at the beginning of the year because in terms of a uh, a machine, it was working really well, but at some point you just get into this execution mode and maybe you don't remember anymore why you started writing that blog post every week. You still need to understand if it's really giving the results that you expected or, or why you're, you're doing it. So we did that analysis at the beginning of the year and we came to a few conclusions. So we started by really asking ourselves, why are we doing this? What's the objective of, of content marketing at Landbot? And I think there's two, two big buckets that uh, it fits in. One is generating awareness, awareness for our brand, getting more people in our target market to, to know about Landbot, just knowing that we exist as a very, very initial step at the very top of the funnel. And a little bit more down the funnel to also have some impact in consideration. So really starting to talk about the problems that we solve and putting Landbot uh, you know, in their heads as a possible solution for the things that that they want to do. So the idea was every content that we are putting out needs to serve one of these two objectives. And if it's not doing any of those, then it's not really worth doing. And that counts every blog post that we publish, everything that we do. If it's just sitting there, if it's just filling a content calendar, then there's really no purpose uh, in doing it. And it was the case with some things that we were doing. Um, we were scaling our blog production quite a lot and getting um, a lot of people interested in being guest authors on our blog. We got some SEO juice going there and a lot of people wanted to contribute to it. And uh, we started to accept a lot of those kind of playing an older SEO game where you publish a lot of content and your authority starts to go up. You also start to have a lot of long tail keywords. That we found out that was not really working out. I was challenged also by Rand Fishkin on our podcast saying like golden age of SEO is over. He started his own new company without doing any SEO and he still doesn't do it. And I started to question that, that strategy. And I think the reality was that a lot of our content we were publishing was never really bringing any SEO traffic, especially the one from guest posts. And it was not benefiting us in any way. So we tried to focus um, on the distribution part at the beginning of any content strategy of the production of any content, really asking ourselves, how is this going to be consumed and distributed? Is this going to be found on a Google search? Is this going to be distributed on social media and reach people there? Are other people going to reshare this? How are people going to find out about this content? And if the answer was, we really don't believe anyone is going to find it anywhere, Let, let's not do don't it. Don't even bother. Yeah. Okay. So it was based on that, that we decided what we should double down on. We saw the podcast working really well in terms of, of social media distribution. 
especially LinkedIn. We saw the Ungated Marketing Podcast that we started in, in October to work really well. So for that awareness objective, where we're talking about all topics that are interesting for our audience, not necessarily about ourselves or our product, but bringing them into the conversation, earning their trust and building some credibility and brand awareness, the podcast was working great. So that was for sure, let's keep doing it. One of the bets to continue. Mm -hmm. How do you all promote the podcast? So the podcast, we do a couple of things after we, it's interview based and then we do a few things with the episode. We write an article which is written by, I do the interviews, but then one of the editorial writers that was involved in the research since the beginning writes an article based on the interview. So it's almost like we do a guest post with a guest of the podcast. We put more structure into the content because you write a full article after the interview so you can tell a more cohesive story. Uh, and then we, we publish that article uh, currently on our blog. And we distribute it on social media and we do some paid advertising on social media as well for the article. And then, of course, we put the podcast in all the podcasting platforms, obviously. So it, it, you can just listen to it uh, on the podcasting platforms. You can read the article if you prefer reading. And then to um, advertise it even more efficiently, we do some micro videos, like one minute, one minute and a half videos from the interview focus on on the guest we do currently four per episode and then we make them available for our own social media team for the guest or anyone else in the company that wants to use it so we upload them natively to linkedin uh, or to facebook and we use that to create more awareness around the episode so i do it on my personal profile i choose one video the landbot profile chooses video number two the Engated Marketing profile on LinkedIn as its own profile, posts video number three, and maybe the guest, if we're lucky, posts video number four on his own network. And that has worked very well for us to, to create uh, an audience around the podcast. And we did, uh, we actually celebrated the, the fact that we got 10,000 downloads in the first 30 days, which we found was amazing. And all the feedback we get from other people doing podcasts uh, tell us the same. So this uh, that is, that distribution is worked very well for us. Do you do any outreach to get a link back to that blog post from the blog of your guest? Not necessarily from the blog of my guest. We, we have uh, an, SEO, an SEO team do, that does a lot of outreach in terms of um, trying to get backlinks where they are relevant. For the guest, I don't really ask anything specific of the guest. Uh, and uh, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I, I'm happy with the results so far. So what I, what I do with the guest is I try to make it first valuable for them to share it. Uh, try to understand what is their agenda, what do they want to talk about right now. Uh, make the content good, make them look good, make them sound smart and make it valuable for them to share. It's not always the case. Some We had some big guests. For some of them, they go to so many podcasts. It's not that relevant, but I try to as good, uh, the, the best as possible to make it valuable for them to share. And then I try to make it easy for them to share. So I give them access to the drive with the videos. I give them the blog post. I give them all the links and everything. And then I just tell them, look, this is it, what we have to, to promote your episode, feel free to do whatever you want with it. Some of them take the video, upload it to their Twitter, to their LinkedIn. Some of them that don't do anything with it. Um, we had, for example, 
one of the factors for our success was Rand Fishkin was on the first episode and he did use more than one video on his LinkedIn, on his Twitter. He wrote a lot about it. The video looked good. The thing was, uh, I think, was also valuable for him, but he was very kind to do it. We got, uh, for example, Dave Harland put it on his newsletter with 10,000 readers, mentioned the episode on his newsletter. But the answer is no, we don't ask them to do any of that. We just try to provide the value and make it easier for it to happen. Yeah, cool. We recently also, uh, probably at the beginning of the year, decided to implement something we call Podcast Core, which really put our podcast and all the, the related repurposed assets around our podcasts at the core of our content marketing strategy. And now, um, you know, I probably at least 75% of the content that we produce is in some way a spinoff of, a, of podcast content. Of, of, yeah, core, of in, core podcast in, audio recordings. In terms of awareness, I, I think it's the most cost-effective and powerful way to to do content marketing right now, podcasting. Uh, maybe a video series would be equally powerful, but in terms of costs, I think podcast beats anything and so many ways that you can repurpose it, so many value you get from that. And that's where I think really in terms of looking at SEO, as a strategy, if before you would try to target like a very broad range of keywords to try to generate that awareness and do the AppSpot playbook, try to generate awareness through SEO by targeting all the marketing keywords in the world and just driving traffic through that. It's so competitive, so hard to do right now. Yeah, I don't feel it, it, it works anymore. But what we do for SEO, I'm not saying we gave up on SEO, we go more on that consideration stage and keywords that are more related to our product and to the problems that we solve. So we still have some very strong SEO pieces from the blog, and that is the blog articles that contribute to that. So when if you do look for WhatsApp marketing, WhatsApp chatbots, uh, web chatbots, and things like that, we do have articles that are bringing traffic and bringing signups from that traffic. So there's still that side to it, but not in that broad just generate awareness with any marketing search. We cannot compete with everyone else. There's so many people writing blog articles about marketing stuff. We could just try to write an article in rank for lead generation. It's not going to happen. So being more strategic on the SEO side was the other decision. And doing what I think we all know is right, but it's not the, the most exciting thing to do as marketers, which is refreshing old content and taking stuff that works or maybe it almost worked but it's stuck there in the beginning of the second page of google and just refreshing that publishing again and and boosting those results we see a lot of results coming from that and so we committed to doing more of that not just creating new content but really going back to old content and refreshing it and republishing it yeah, I mean, I've had previous guests who have talked about that, that it's no longer necessarily a volume game of just cranking out lots and lots of new posts and, and going for the high volume approach, but rather just figuring out, focusing on the pieces of content that have gained traction. Maybe they've gotten first page rankings and making sure that you keep revisiting those pages and updating them with um, up-to-date relevant content so that they maintain or even improve those, those rankings and you get more benefit from that. And from those efforts, as opposed to putting the efforts into always creating new content. And I think a lot of people in SEO and content marketing overlook this fact that um, your best performing content really needs to be revisited frequently and updated so that you can maintain those rankings 
and not just you know replacing the uh, the, the loss or the the declining performance of those pieces of content trying to replace them with new content is like a just yeah. a, a hamster on a <laughs> wheel so something else that we saw in terms of again it just works it performs well it's not the most exciting stuff to do is localizing the articles in different languages so if you do have something that is uh, performing very well in english where it's probably the most competitive and you translate it to spanish it's going to work very well in Spanish as well. Uh, and we had some articles um, that we did that and that were performing well, uh, but we just felt like we need to commit to doing more of that because it just works. And again, it's not as exciting creatively for a marketing person as writing a new article, just translating an old one, but it just works. So we also committed to doing more of that, um, localizing the content, so working on the multilingual version of our web properties because it's just low-hanging fruit. If your original article is ranking, your translated article has everything to rank as well. Mm -hmm. Where are, are your customers also distributed across the world and, and coming from different... Yes, the, they are. And uh, Landbot is, is headquartered in Spain. So there is a, a natural bias for Spain as a market just by the home factor. It just happens organically. So... Also, Spanish-speaking countries in Latin America are also because of WhatsApp penetration on the WhatsApp product side. There's a lot of um, WhatsApp users in Latin America. But so yeah, it's a bit spread all over the world from US to Western Europe, Latin America, India is a huge market for WhatsApp and we get a lot of organic traffic from there. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit spread all over the world. I sense that in the US, Facebook Messenger is still more popular than WhatsApp. But that everywhere else in the world, WhatsApp is the number one, ex excluding China, of course, but yeah. everywhere else outside of the U.S. Is that is that true or do you know any statistics? Yeah, I think that roughly roughly that is, that is the case. Um, WhatsApp has over 2 billion active users in the world. And in some countries, it's, it's like the default messaging app. That's uh, India's case, for example. So it is, it is true. Um, in Portugal, we do, I feel that uh, myself, like everyone I know uses WhatsApp, so I get that first-hand experience. But when you look at the data, you, you also see that uh, in a lot of countries, it is the most popular. In some countries, it's almost like, uh, I think that's the case of India, it's like almost a synonym, uh, synonym to internet. That's like the extreme case. They, they kind of discovered the internet through WhatsApp, and it's almost like this, this power app where they do everything. But just as a messaging app in, in many countries, Brazil also, I think, super high uh, penetration. And in the United States, it's not as much. It is still, I think it has something like 70 million active users, but that is a smaller percentage of the, of the population. So what I am trying to understand now more about the, the United States, first, I think it is growing. So I think the, the trend it is to, to gain some market share. But also what I would like to dive into, I don't have the answer right now, is kind of what segments, is it more popular? So is it um, a younger generation? Is it a certain type of demographics? So because the US is such a big market that if maybe if you just niche down and understand, well, actually in this certain demographic, WhatsApp is extremely popular, then it is very valuable for that. So that I don't know yet, but it's something that I want to look into. Mm -hmm. 
Would you ever predict that WhatsApp, uh, that an ad-free version of WhatsApp could become a paid product at some point in the future, the same way YouTube does it? I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, at the beginning of WhatsApp, and I, I think even before um, Facebook at the time bought WhatsApp, there was this kind of uh, paid uh, yearly fee, very low that you that you paid for WhatsApp. There was this mix of this free model. There was this paid. I think since Facebook bought it, it just became free forever, and in new tool, I think it will be free forever. Um, they try to control. Um, I also thought now our marketer is going to ruin WhatsApp experience. Like, are they going to advertise so much, do so much stuff there that's going to kind of ruin the experience? Uh, I think they are controlling this environment because it is, it's not like email where you can just spam everyone. You have a business API that you need to get authorized with uh, WhatsApp. And uh, so if you start spamming people, you can just get banned. There's a, uh, some types of businesses that you cannot even promote there. They're just uh, outside of the scope. So I think they will keep uh, some control on the commercial activities that you can do there that probably will avoid that the experience will go to this uh, so many uh, so much advertising that you should have to pay to get rid of it. Um, mm. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, this is a bit. Uh, I guess if Facebook <laughs> looking or, into the future, but I don't, right. I don't think it will happen. Hey, if Meta, well, we're calling them Meta now. Um, if yeah. if they were going to do it, they would do it first on Facebook. Uh, if they were going to create an ad-free product, <laughs> yeah, Facebook would be useful to get rid of the ads. Yes, as a marketer, as a marketer, we shouldn't say this, right? But uh, yeah, too many ads on Facebook. But YouTube, YouTube did that. So somebody in the YouTube team figured out that we might be able to mo better monetize the whole thing by creating an ad-free version on subscription. And I don't know how many people opt for that option. Uh, I, I pay I pay a monthly subscription for YouTube for an ad-free experience. I don't. I think it's because and they the keep asking me to. They they oh, keep really? yes. Yeah. They never stop asking. They're always, do you want to upgrade, subscribe, or pay, or whatever? It's it's always popping up. I think that maybe the reason that YouTube decided they can make that work was because so much of YouTube's users are using it for music. Yes, it, it was the music play. So I think I, I have Apple Music, so it doesn't make sense for me. Some people have Spotify Premium and then YouTube just wanted to join that because, yes, in fact, so many people are already using it just to go there and listen to, to a song, just search for the video of the song to listen to music. They just decided to make that a, a service. And if you're really using YouTube as a music player, now there's a, I mean, YouTube music is its own product now, and I, I subscribe to that, but there's a free version. But I think it's, it's just much more annoying and intolerable to have your music interrupted with, with a radio ad as opposed to seeing display ads in your, in your Facebook newsfeed or something like that. I think people can tolerate that more because those advertisers... Uh, also, the best ads are the ones that blend, that really look like content anyway, and they're relevant and they're useful. I think that's much more tolerable. But whereas if you're listening to music, that's your music. You don't want to be interrupted, especially in the middle of a song, much less between songs. To me, that's a horrible experience. And I would pay, I'd be much more willing to pay a few bucks a month to get rid of that. that yeah, I, I did that. I did ears. that with Apple. In my case, it was Apple Music, but um, it just, it, to choose one, and it's one of those things that yes, I will gladly pay a subscription to not get that. I I used Spotify, the free version, and then I would always get those ads. So whatever you used, I I would pay 
for some reason I went with Apple, I could have gone with Spotify equally or YouTube. But yeah, just get a get a uh, some music streaming service, pay for it, and listen to your music in peace without worrying if an ad is going to pop up, especially when you put the volume loud and then you're going to get an ad and you don't even know what that ad is going to be. Definitely not the experience you want to have. Great. Fernando, this has been great. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished I would have asked, or is there anything else that you'd like to to share with our audience? Uh, let me think about about the content marketing side. Um, there, there is uh, something that uh, I was asked recently uh, in a podcast, which something like, if you had this extra amount of budget, what you would you do on content marketing? The amount at the time was, I think, fifty k. Um, what I would like to do next with content marketing probably requires a bit more than that, but. I think video obviously has huge potential and um, doing more more video content uh, similar to what we do in podcasts, but with a higher production value. There's basically two lines of thinking here. There's the ones that say, just pick up your cell phone, walk down the street and talk to your phone. And that's good enough. No one cares about production value. And if the content is good, that's good enough. And I think for some people that works great. And then there's... The other side, uh, that, uh, how you can differentiate is really bet on the production value and do really amazing content in terms of production. And, and that's where I would like to go next. Um, personally, uh, that's that's what I would like to do. And I, I think, you know, Netflix style content is really something very powerful in terms of all those documentaries that you see um, and so engaging, like you binge watch the whole thing, that kind of, and I think a lot of Netflix content is content marketing. You see, like, I now see Formula, Formula One. I don't see the races. I see Netflix series about Formula One. And so I see it after the season is over is when I start seeing it because I want to see the storytelling and I want to see the series. Uh, and it's basically content yeah. marketing for, for a product, which is Formula One. Uh, and AdSpace did the same. I see AdSpace series on Netflix and it's basically content marketing for their app. So that kind of content uh is if budget was not an issue where i would like to go next and where i think a lot of marketing teams that are well funded will yeah. be going so where most people are saying now the low budget user generated content that you can shoot on your phone that's the way to, that's the future you're you're betting on the opposite approach you're going against the grain and saying let's go let's keep it high quality high production quality and because people people will appreciate that that's that style of storytelling. They'll still appreciate the, the investment in the in the quality. Yeah, and and of course they're both valid. But I think the if more people are saying to go in this way, well, the more differentiated you you will be by going in the other way. It's a bit of personal preference of mine what I, what I would like to work on. But also, uh, yeah, if everyone is now doing a small TikTok videos on their phone, uh, let's do uh, a streaming quality uh, content series uh, for YouTube. Right. Whenever we're, zig when everyone else is zagging and exactly. you're, you're almost <laughs> always going to be uh, in a good spot and going to get noticed. Well, that was a great, a great, interesting tip to end on. Fernando, thanks so much for being with us. We had a great conversation. I think you all are doing some great things with content marketing and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Paris. Great to chat about marketing always. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, 
visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.